you protect what you love. Hunting is a life, not a lifestyle, it's a life. This is Hunters to show people how great of a job we're doing for conservation, providing for ourselves all the things you and I understand. I think you kind of owe it to the animal that you're hunting to be as prepared as possible. You know, as I get older, I appreciate the laughs and the time and the experience. All right, so guys, welcome to another episode of the Speak the Language podcast. On this week, we have land tawny on the show with us man before we even get going thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to to come on the show and uh talk with us about public lands oh man lake i'm honored i'm honored so uh thank you for the opportunity yeah man so um before we dive into really uh i guess the meat of what we're going to talk about today um kind of briefly explain i'm sure a lot of people that listen to this podcast know but i always like to err on the side of caution uh kind of explain what the organization does uh and your your role in the organization sure so um we're back on here under angler has been around since about 2004 and in 2004 there was a bunch of folks um sitting around a campfire and uh you know i think all good things happen late night at a campfire <laughs> and uh um really looked at like the playing field you know ducks unlimited pheasants forever the Elk foundation all these great organizations are doing great work um, but nobody was really focused on public lands and waters. And and so the impetus for the organization was let's focus on making sure you have access to public lands and waters and then the fish and wildlife habitat once you get there. And right. so, you know, that was 2004. Fast forward now, um, you know, we've got members in all 50 states, chapters in 39 states and two Canadian provinces. Um, and we're just, and we're growing like a weed right now. And I think the main reason we're growing like a weed is that you and I and every single person listening to this right now owns 640 million acres right. of public land. And, you know, in some places there's a lot of public land, others there's not. But it doesn't really matter, you know, who your parents are, how much money you made last year, where you live. Um, we all collectively own this. And I think that, you know, is something uniquely American and something that we're trying to protect and promote. So each and every day, um, you know, when I wake up, it's like, we figure out kind of how we make sure we have access to them and then how to make that habitat better. And, and you know, that's from on-the-ground projects, you know, doing cleanups and fence poles um, to, you know, local kind of management plans all the way out to Washington, D.C. And, and you know, it's, a, it's been a fun ride so far. I've been here for five years. And, you know, as the CEO, I have to make decisions and cheerlead and raise money and uh, provide strategic direction, or direction. But, you know, we've got awesome volunteers on the ground you know i think uh you know I, I like to say a lot that you know we as staff all we are is just megaphones for the people on the ground and right. so they come to issues and we just you know make sure we broadcast that stuff out yeah absolutely man and uh i think you know definitely your the organization does a great job raising awareness of it uh but i the first time like because we, we'll just go ahead and dive into it like i never yeah uh and to, honestly, it was Sam Soholt that that at first brought to my attention that, uh, and I may have been a little, you know, behind, you know, in, in realizing this stuff, but I, I never knew until I uh, started following. You know, I'd known Sam, but uh, started following what he was doing with the with the bus and everything. I never knew that there was such kinds of threats to our public lands, um, so to speak. I, I grew up um, in terms of public land access. Uh, I grew up very in a very fortunate setting i guess you could say i even uh some of the ground that i first ever turkey hunted on was public and i didn't even know that that's 
that was a thing that other people didn't have, you know, other countries right. or whatever. I just kind of took that as that's how it was supposed to be. And, uh, yep. like I said, and, um, until Sam started doing all that, and I, like I said, I had him on a previous episode, I never knew that, you know, a threat of losing certain public lands or public lands being transferred and privatized, I never knew that was a thing that could happen. So, uh, if we could, um, let's talk a little bit about that and what's been going on, um, here lately in, in recent years. Absolutely. And I think, I think the first thing before we totally dive deep in is that, you know, these our public lands are really, it's, you know, it's a fairly kind of new experiment, right? I mean, Theodore Roosevelt when, and his kind of cronies, when they helped kind of start this legacy for all of us, right. that's only 130, 140 years old. And you think about history, that's just a, that's just a blip in history. And right. So, um, you know, we put him up on Mount Rushmore, you know, we the people, but, you know, when he was setting aside these public lands, you know, for future generations, it's not like he didn't have his detractors. And so I think, you know, these threats, as we get into what's going on today, they're really nothing new. I think that they've been going on, you know, since he kind of helped start this legacy, and they've been going on, you know, throughout history since then, and it's just really, this is our time. And I think the reason those threats are out there is that, you know, people either want to privatize them, you know, for their own little kind of honey holes, right. or they want to exploit them, you know. And, and you know, that's short-term kind of stuff. You know, I think what Roosevelt really espoused was the greatest good for the greatest amount of people, for the you know, future generations. And so, um, you know, you exploit now, yes, you can make some money, um, but if you do it responsibly, you can do that for generations to come. So right. I'm happy to dive in, you know, to what's going on now, but I, I think that, that historical context is always important. Yeah, oh, man, absolutely. And, like, I tell uh, – I've told people before, like, I'm not one to, to speak, you know, to, like, try to make – speak out on something that I don't know, you know, a whole lot about. And as far as, like, sure. public land knowledge – I know, I know for a fact you know more about that and what's going on mm-hmm. in the history of it than I do. So, I mean, like, I can speak to it at a point, like, obviously I appreciate our public lands. I would like to preserve our public lands. But, that's yeah, that's that's part of the reason why I brought you on the show because I know you could articulate that in a way that I couldn't. And so, yeah, I'm definitely glad that you did that. Cool. Yeah. So, where do you want, like, do you want, where do we want to go with stuff right now? Um, let's talk about... Uh, Land transfer, like transferring public lands and trying to privatize them, that seems to be, um, not to go like straight into the big issue, but that seems like the big issue right now. That's what you hear about the most. Uh, And so. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think, you know, again, like I think, you know, this is nothing new. I mean, there's every every 10 or 15 years it kind of comes up. Um, Last one that people want to go look for is like the Sagebrush Rebellion. Um, that happened 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, it's, it's really people, again, who want to privatize. And I think that, you know, I'll give just an example of the, you know, when I think really started becoming aware, people started becoming aware is when the, the kind of Bundy and crew took over the, the Mount here National Wildlife Refuge up in Oregon. So, you know, they have a big standoff up there. And one of the things they were talking about is that, you know, we want to return this land to the people. Yeah. I kind of kind of heard that rhetoric and I was like, now, wait a minute, this is a national wildlife refuge that duck hunters, you know, through the duck stamp have paid for. They pay for it in the management of it every single year. So we, the people, are paying for it. And then this has been in, like, public ownership from the beginning. Um, and it was, like, even, a, uh, I think, Roosevelt helped set that, that refuge aside. So, you know, to me, it's like when they say we want to turn to the people, it's not to you and I. It's to a very select few. Right. And, and so I think this transfer 
and again, it's been around for a while, but the idea, there's kind of two things. I think there's the just all out sale, you know, which uh, I think we'll get into here in a little bit that Mr. Shafe has proposed and right. you know, Mr. Mr. Lee is now proposing from uh, Utah. Yeah. Um, but then there's the transfer and, and really the way we look at transfers is just a short term uh, really step to the actual sale. And I'll, and I'll tell you why I think that, um, you know, when we look at you know, each and every American, you know, pays pays taxes, and that what pays for the majority of the management of our our public lands. And you know, you look at a state who um, have to re, you know cover those costs. And so you look at you know, right now we're at the tail end, hopefully, of our fire season out here in the West. Right. And I want to make you know, no state could really pay that fire bill. Um, then you're looking at you know the the, the maintenance for roads, the law enforcement, like those pieces, they just can't afford it. And you know, there's been studies done in Wyoming and Montana and Idaho and even in Utah that really none of them have penciled out. Um, that, that, you know, that these, that if you, I think their argument is that if you increase, you know, timber harvest, if you increase oil and gas development, then we'll be able to pay for the management. And um, the only one that did pencil out and was like an exact even was in it was in Utah, and that's when uh, oil was like at $120 a barrel. Right. And so yeah. now it's like at 60, right? And so yeah. that's the that's the conundrum, right? And so like the influx and changes in, in, in you know in the market, what happens when these states get in tough times? Well, they sell those lands, yeah. and you know there's precedent for that all over the West. I think the most egregious spot is really. Um, in Nevada, where they started with 3 million acres um, when they became a state, and now they're down to 3,000 acres. Oh, gosh. Right? And, and so, you know, that's 97%, I think, that they've sold. And so you don't get that back. Yeah. Um, state of Utah, um, you know, they started with 7.5 million acres, and now they only have half of that left. Mm. And so that happens. And I think there's a main reason for that is that, that our public lands, that our national forests, our Bureau of Land Management lands, those are managed for multiple use. And what multiple use means is that it, it means that there can be extraction for timber and for oil and gas and for hard rock minerals. Um, but it also means that you need to balance that use, one, so it's not a one-time shot, but you need to balance that, you know, with hunting and fishing and, you know, with yeah. grazing and other activities on that forest. And so that's the way our, in, in general, and that's, that's I, I speak in general terms, that's where our federally managed public lands um, are managed. And then at a state level, you know, they're, they call them school trust lands. And, and really, these were granted to the states. Um, they became states so they could raise money off of these lands to pay for schools. Great idea. Right. Um, but they're single use, right? When it's all about making money, um, that's, you know, that becomes the priority of these lands is just making money and yeah. making money from extraction. And so, um, you know, that's the place where you and I want to go hunt and fish. A lot of times not. And so, um, you know, that's kind of... And then what happens is when they can't make money, um, then they sell those lands. And yeah. you know, a recent example of that is in Oregon. There's a forest called the Elliott State Forest. It was 86,000 acres. People have been hunting it forever, and they've been doing timber harvest on it. Well, the state couldn't make money off it anymore, and so they decided they were going to sell it. And that's when you know our members came to us and were like, whoa, we're trying to sell you know, my, my spot where I go uh, elk hunt. And, and so we got involved and, you know, elevated the voice and, you know, the state land board ended up voting not to sell that land and the way they got around kind of that single best use, they changed it from school trust lands to, uh, to like a wildlife management area. And right. So that has different priorities. And so, 
you know, these things are happening all across the country right now. Yeah. Know, it's not just the West. There's stuff in the upper Midwest, stuff in Michigan and Minnesota and Wisconsin that's happening. Um, and, you know, I look at, you know, stuff throughout the Midwest and the East. They just don't have public lands like we do here in the West. And it's because the lands that they're originally granted, they've sold. And um, to us, again, like, you know, you, you just never get that back. And so I think, right. you know, that's what's at stake here. Um, now, folks listen to this, you know, and I think like they probably hunt in the wildlife management areas that are managed by the state. I do. Um, there's some great places to hunt. But those are those are not, you know, the majority of, our, of the state managed lands. Those are like a really small piece. The majority of them are like the school trust lands that are, you know, make money or else. Right. Um, so definitely I, I want to to go in maybe to clarify something or, or go in a little bit on yep. detail on something. Um uh, and you kind of touched on it. It's, it's Sam Sam tried to explain it to me too. He said the you know when a lot of these uh, land transfers get proposed, it gets kind of uh, the way Sam explained it. He said they they box it up to sound like really nice, like hey we're going to return the power of this land to the state, and yep. it makes and it's it, it says they're you know they're trying to sell it kind of as you know like oh it's still public so you don't have to worry about it. You're just going to be able to control it better. Um, but he kind of just like, like what you were saying was like, if this happens, you know, the state's not going to be able to afford it. And then eventually they're going to have to sell it. And, uh, so what, what I, my question, you know, is, is that, is that kind of what you see most of the time in those situations? And, um, like when I had, uh, Mr. Chaffetz on, like I, like I spoke about earlier, one thing that he said was one of the main reasons that he wanted to do some of that kind of stuff was he said he wanted to, give the states more power of management. He said he didn't want uh sure. he didn't want a bureaucrat in Washington to be telling you how to manage your deer in, you know, whatever state that you're living in or your yep. elk, whatever. Um and so my question to him was I said I said, is that possible to do? Can you give that management power to the states without there being any risk of the land being sold and privatized? And he said absolutely. Um yep. so what is I want I wanted to know your take on that. Yeah, so I think the first thing I would say is that um, you said, like, return it to the states, which I think a lot of people use that rhetoric. Well, there's a thing called the Louisiana Purchase, right, that when we bought land, um, everything west of the Mississippi, we bought that from the French. And so, you know, a lot of these lands we're talking about, Mr. Schaaf has talked about in Utah, those were never the states to start with. You know, those were owned by us, the American people. So right. I just want to make, like, there's never, like, this return back. They never really had it in the first place. Right, right. I think the... The management piece is an interesting one. Um, I'll give you an example. So, you know, again, like a lot of people are like, man, these decisions are being made out in Washington, D.C. We have no say. And, um, you know, like we can't we can't get what we want out of the management of these lands. And so I hear two things there. The first one is that's easy to talk about. Everybody hates the government. You know, like feds did this, feds did that. I think that's an easy target. Um, but I, I couldn't – I would say it's not – there's some maybe truth to that. There are some big decisions that are made, but the majority of decisions are being made on the ground by local rangers um, and their local districts. And uh, like the example I'll give you is the Bitterroot National Forest. Bitterroot National Forest, very large forest, uh, just south of Missoula where I'm at. Uh, great, great um, spot to hunt and fish. Um, and they just went through a travel management plan. The travel management plan decides how they will manage travel, usually for 10 to 15 years. So tons of local input, tons of uh, uh, meetings, 
um, you know, opportunities for people to give input. We submitted some letters. Um, we had people go testify at these meetings. And at the end of the day, they have to look at every single person's input and then come out with their plan. Now, did we get everything that we wanted in that plan? Absolutely not. Um, did, you know, some folks that wanted unfettered ATV use where they could drive their ATV wherever they wanted, did they get everything they wanted? Absolutely not. But um, did they get some things? Yes. And so it's that word compromise. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of our public lands is there's these places for us to uh, find that compromise, but it's super sticky, you know. And so right. if you don't get everything you want, you can talk about how management is horrible. Right. Well, like in the eyes of who, right? Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's democracy, you know. I mean, that's exactly. You're going to get exactly. some things you want, there's going to be some things you don't want. It's that That's democracy. Yep. And so I think, you know, that management piece, like, again, like, I, I think that one um, doesn't make much sense to me. I think right. the, the idea of, uh, of, again, of like, okay, let's say we don't transfer fee title so that they don't, you know, so that the states actually don't own these lands, that it's just, they just are granted the management. Like, I get pretty nervous about that, too. And the reason I get nervous is, again, what are the motivations of the state? And the state's motivation is to make money. Right. And, and so, you know, what happens, you know, we've got a budget shortfall and let's, uh, you know, let's, Let's, let's do oil and gas development at a much higher rate. And so it hurts a mule deer, you know, migration or pronghorn migration because we got to make some money. And we wouldn't have done it like this because we wanted to do phase development. But right now, man, we're, you know, we're $200 million in the hole. we got to make money. Yeah. And so, like, I think that money talks and, like, then the people, you know, I think there's much more of a tendency for politicians to say, okay, well, let's do this short-term expectation rather than, you know, this long-term kind of view of things. Right. So, I think, you know, are there ways to increase uh, local input? I would say yes. You know, I think that we work on a lot of collaboratives, you know, in Idaho and in Montana and Washington, Oregon, where we're sitting down with ranchers and we're sitting down with timber folks and we're sitting down uh, with other user groups. And like, okay, what's the best for this forest? And, you know, an example of that would be in the Clearwater Basin in Idaho. So it's a gigantic basin, and mm-hmm. we've been sitting down for over a decade looking at how we parse out that forest. And what's really come out of that is more timber harvest in the front country, um, some new designated wilderness, some wild and scenic ground, and then um, the longest continuous ATV route in the West. And and so that is compromised. Now, again, did everybody at that table get exactly what they wanted? No. But is it a path forward? I would say yes. Yeah. So I, I think these... You know, when you hear these terms, bureaucrats and local control, um, I think they sound, uh, you know, they're, they're meant to sound uh, persuasive, which they are. Yeah. Um, but when you start diving into the details of that, I think, you know, the way things are working now, um, we're not, it's not perfect, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, like, that's why I brought it up, you know, because, um, you know, I, I had, uh, when I interviewed Mr. Chaffetz, you know, I feel like he had a lot of good points. And, um, you know, like... To, to his, you know, when he said uh, if, if there could be, you know, like we just said, if there could be uh, more management power for the states without there being any risk of that land being privatized, of course that's the thing we want. But I feel like that, you know, in what things that have happened in so many recent years and people trying to transfer lands, it's something you kind of got to tread lightly and make sure what you're walking into, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, and I think, you know, I'm sure you guys got into um, – 
you know, his bill they introduced to to sell three million acres. Yeah, was it uh, HR six twenty one, right? Yep, yep, very well done. Um, and you know, I think that and when he introduced that bill, he introduced it before, but you know, to the awareness that we're creating, to the awareness that you know um, that Sam's creating through his bus, that Stephen Ranella, Randy Newberg, through your podcast, like people were more aware of our public lands, and so when he introduced that bill you know, the backlash was pretty extreme for a week or so. Um, and, and you know, as a good politician, I think that sometimes people think, oh, he flip-flopped because he thinks something different. No, he got some education and he decided that that was not a good idea and right. really pulled his support from that bill. And I think, you know, again, that's the way the world should work is that if something is proposed that people don't like and they, you know, push back in a pretty uh, substantial way, that politician should listen and they should change their view. That's yeah. what they're supposed to represent. Yeah. And I, I, we applaud them for that. You know, I think right. that um, I wish more politicians, you know, would, would think that way. Um, you know, I think that I will say it was interesting that, you know, he got hit pretty hard on Instagram. And um, when he came out and acquiesced, uh, he was on Instagram, you know, dressed in full camo and um, talking about, hey, it was my fault. And, you know, use the hashtag keep it public, the same one that had been used against him for a week. Right. So I think. He came around, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, I mean, that said, you know, he's a congressman from Utah. Now we have a senator from Utah, Senator Lee, so who is much more, you know, I mean, there's only 100 senators, you know, much more uh, mainstream, um, was considered for the Supreme Court. And, you know, he's coming out and talking about we should get rid of all public lands um, and yeah. talking about being stating the Homestead Act and, and uh, all these things, and it's like, you know, I've got a meeting with him here in a couple of weeks, and, you know, it's like, did you not learn from the example with Mr. Shafitz, and, you know, why do you, or what is fundamentally, you know, what's going on here, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation, but, you know, this is, this issue is not going away, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, like you, like you spoke on, this is an issue that's not like it just popped up out of the ground, it may have more noticed now in recent years but like you said this kind of stuff has been going on for years there's always been threats to it but that's why we we're thankful for organizations like bha that are, are willing and able to speak out and and you know be a voice for for the public lands um but yeah so um kind of you know, again on on the on the basis of you can uh articulate it a lot better than i could um yep. because I, I i brought up um what what senator lee was doing when I was interviewing Mr. Shafitz, but he didn't, we didn't go into it as much as I would have liked to. Uh, so I know you touched on it just a second ago, but can you kind of go a little bit more in depth on what all he came out and said and what he's trying to do uh, currently? Yeah, it's kind of three tactics, I think. Um, and the first one is something that, you know, he and others have been introducing for years, so it's not that new, and I don't really think it's going anywhere, but really is. Um, taking the president's ability away to utilize the Antiquities Act to protect landscapes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the, for just a little history lesson, like the Boone and Crockett Club formed in, I think, 1887. This is one of the first things that uh, policies that they put forward and Theodore Roosevelt worked on. He was one of the founders. Um, and then, you know, when Theodore Roosevelt becomes president, he established you know, numerous national monuments. And national monuments, you know, range from a uh, uh, you know, like a post office, like a historic post office, to, uh, to a battlefield, to you know large landscapes mm -hmm. uh, like the Upper Missouri Breaks National Monument here in Montana, which I think is the best place in the world to hunt bighorn sheep, mule deer, and elk. Right. Um, 
the landscapes they, they change, but I think you know the so Senator his first proposal was to like take away the president's you know ability to uh, do these uh, national monuments, and I think that has everything to do um, with you know some recent monument designations, um, including you know from not only from Obama but also from Bush um, that, that that he was not happy with, and um, and so I think that is there. I'm not as worried I think about that piece. I think that. Like I said, that legislation's been around for a while. Um, the one, the next two are, are pretty egregious. I think it's just a flat-out sale of public lands. You know, I think, you know, um, he talked about how you know these these public lands were being run like um, the King's Forest over in Europe. You know, and, <laughs> and like to me, there couldn't be anything you know opposite of that. You know, I think we've started this conversation about. Those public lands, they don't care how much money you make, don't care how your parents are, they just care if you got two feet and, you know, a will. Um, and 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 so to say that they're being run by King's Forest, like I think is just ludicrous to me because, you know, just to let folks know that over in Europe, like you have to be part of the privileged few or very wealthy. I'm either born into it or you got a lot of money and that's who hunts over there. Yeah. And and not a system that, you know, I want to be a part of and I think that's, you know, what um, you know, folks came across the pond to get away from right yeah, um, yeah to so, me like go the, the, i've read see i've read the the king's forest comment i'd seen that and i was yeah. that's almost to you know I, and i don't know what his motive was there but to me that was almost like you know maybe expecting the people you know like a it's almost i don't maybe an insult to intelligence you know because i'm like if you right. if you know anything about what public lands are like are here and if you know just the i mean like you said the the privileged few how it actually is over there that's like the farthest from what it is i'm like where where, where are you getting at there i don't that that's a really odd comparison in my mind well i like to, i like to say that you and i all live like kings right like you know <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't marry a large land into a large landowner family you know my family um they've been in montana for five generations but we didn't uh we didn't have land we were mortuaries and so you know i my right. big backyard is public land, right? You know? And that's right. your big backyard. That's everybody's big backyard. Right. So we live like kings. It's the exact opposite. So I think that sale is uh, is interesting. Um, again, who is that to? You know, I think that's for very wealthy individuals and right. those who want to exploit them. Um, and then you know he the, the third one, which I think is is, is pretty ludicrous, is uh, reinstating the Homestead Act. And you know the Homestead Act when it was first proposed. We had three million people here in America, and we were trying to get them out west to help conquer that frontier. And so the Homestead Act was established. You know, that's the reason why a lot of people are here out west. There's a lot of legacy that goes with that in private land, which is absolutely awesome. And, um, you know, I wish my family had been engaged in that, but we weren't. Um, right. But, you know, fast forward today, we're 300 million people plus here in the United States. And, you know, if you think there was fights back then for land, you know, the amount of fights that happened now would be absolutely crazy. And, you know, when you, when you first hear it, you're like, man, I got a spot on such and such national forest. You know, I got that ridge. I got that lake. Killed elk here. I would love that spot to be my little place. But there's also 330 or whatever million other people that would want to do that. Right, <laughs> so, right, but, right. Yeah. And then you think about, you know, access issues that we haven't talked about yet, but like, there's access issues to our public lands, and that would just get more and more difficult as you know the probably the the front country would be um, developed and, and privatized, and and so all three of them, you know, I think again the monument piece I'm not as concerned about, but the other two would like 
fundamentally change yeah. um, this kind of uh, public land system that we have here in America. Yeah, in a huge, like I said, because I just read like a, a small statement, you know, or like, like br- a brief statement covering what he talked about. And I was just like, holy yeah. cow, man. I mean, he just like, I mean, I guess, you know, credit for not trying to, I guess, hide his motives because he just was like coming out like, yeah. And I was like, that would change everything in not a good way. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm glad, personally, I'm glad that you're going to sit down and have a meeting with him. Um, and I'm glad that there's organizations like BHA to to kind of maybe halter that. But uh, um, to go into the, like, the next part of it. So uh, yeah. I think uh, how can other people like that you know for for me um if i if i was someone that had just heard about bha or you know if someone's hearing this podcast for the first time and they hunt on public land and they have an appreciation for it and they're hearing you know or if they're just hearing about these new threats to it that we're talking about um what are what are some ways practically that they can get involved that's great um i think the first piece is, is really just education you know and i think you know you can find a lot of stuff on our website um, but you can also, you know, like, there's tons of information out there. We're living in the information age. And so I think just learning, again, kind of some of that history of public lands, kind of where it came from, that none of that happened by accident, and that none of it's going to get carried forward by accident, I think is a really important thing. Right. So I think, you know, just reading books, and I could talk about books and um, other resources, but I think just getting kind of yourself immersed in the history. Yeah. Um, next piece, you know, is... Uh, is take action. You know, I think that a lot of people in this country think their voice doesn't count right now, and I appreciate that sentiment, but it doesn't count if you don't use it. Right. right? And, and I think you got to use it, and I think that, that Congressman Schaefer's example is perfect, you know, and on Instagram, you know, people made comments on his pictures going back three months for, you know, a week where there were a thousand, you know, comments deep, all with like a hashtag, keep it public. And that was powerful. You know, that doesn't happen by, you know, me calling up Mr. Schaefitz and saying, hey, knock it off. That happens because the people stood up and said, knock it off. And I think, so the voice does count. So I think that's a big one. Um, You know, become a a member of an organization that's that's working in this arena. I'm I'm definitely biased towards backcountry hunters and anglers. And, you know, it's only $25 a year. So, um, you know, (laughs) that's not even a meal out, you know, with uh, with, uh, your significant other. And so... Um, it's pretty cheap. Um, we'll keep you informed on the issues and help you take action. But you know, there's other folks like the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership or Trout Unlimited um, that you can get involved in as, with as well. And I think, you know, that piece. Um, and then the, the next one is, is, like, I think spreading the good word. You know, I think that, that there's a lot of, you know, memes and, you know, like one-liners that go on these days and, um, you know, podcasts like this where you actually have a conversation and, you know, talking to uh, your friends, you know, and letting them know about these things. I think that's the way that we kind of spread this message right. um, and get past that kind of, you know, just shock and awe that is the interweb at some point. You right. Know? right. Um, and so I think those are the things I would say is that really, you know, educate yourself, um, use your voice, uh, belong to an organization and then spread the word. Yeah. Um, and, and definitely, uh, yeah, for sure. So uh, one of those things, kind of an add-on to that question, uh, and yeah. this is something I definitely want to get your opinion on, because um, this is something that I get a lot, uh, whether I'm wearing, because like, to, to say this as unbiasedly as I can, 
I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed, uh, you know, because I, I support BHA. I'm a member. Yep. Uh, but sometimes the – Thank the, you. So, yeah, yeah, no problem, man. I'm a big uh, big believer in it. Um, but sometimes the, the comments I get either from when I'm wearing a public landowner shirt uh, or, you know, I make a post about it or something, whatever. Sometimes the comments I get from fellow hunters is, you know, like not necessarily negative, like, hey – you know, not not that they're against public lands, but they're you know more like, hey, the threat's not that serious. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of like it's a little bit, you know, like this. You know, y'all can, you know, you can worry about that, but I'm good over here. You know, I hunt. You know, I hunt private. I hunt public land some, but I hunt private land too. If stuff happens to the pu- pu- public land, I'll be okay. You know that sure. that kind of mindset. Um, what do you what What do you say to you know to someone that has that kind of mindset? What, what What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's a great question, and I get it, too. Um, first of all, thank you for wearing the public land on our shirt. You can't wear that shirt without people talking to you. This is true. Um, <laughs> pretty amazing. Um, but I think, you know, it, I get it, you know, and, and there, there's two things you kind of like said there, and I think it's like the, you know, this is not that big of a threat, and then I have places to go anyways. And so um, I hear both of those. And so I think on the not the biggest threat, I think that, you know, again, if we do not push back against this, it becomes a gigantic threat. If we continue to push back against it, I think it stays kind of just below the surface. It's never going to go away. Right. But if we continue to push back against it, I think that we keep it underneath the surface and where it needs to be. Um, and that's really buried. Um, but again, you know, Congressman Chaffetz, he's one of 435. Like the house is much different than the Senate. You have a Senator from Utah, who's one of a hundred that was in consideration for the Supreme court that gets really real, really quick. Um, and and so I think that pushback needs to happen. So that threat is there uh, in my opinion. Um, I think, uh, the other piece that I have a place to go to, um, I think I heard something the other day on a different podcast and it was like, yeah, that's the way it is right now. That place is, you know, one sale away from you not having access to that, potentially, right? Yeah. I mean, things can change. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the first thing is that, um, you know, that that, <laughs> that that land ownership can change and things, you know, like financial situations can change and there's all sorts of things that can change to change that dynamic. Um, and then the second thing I would say is that, you know, public land and, and private land are intertwined. You know, those animals really don't recognize, you know, um, property boundaries. They don't recognize fences. You know, they travel back and forth all the time. And I think there's a, there's really, um, you know, the importance of both of those uh, relying on each other, I think is absolutely huge. Yeah. And, and so I think those together um, are really important. And then and the last thing I would say is that, you know, public lands and public waters, if you don't ever set foot them, if you never hunt and fish in them, you got to care something about like clean air and clean water and, and, you know, clean water in particular, you know, 70% of our, our streams in the United States, they start on public land. And so either, you know, if they get privatized, either somebody else owns that, you know, and uh, maybe there's less access to clean drinking water um, or, you know, those lands are exploited at the extreme level and those, those rivers are polluted and then we don't have clean water at all. And so to me, you know, if you're listening to this and you're in, you know, New York City and you're like, man, I'm never even going to, like, set foot in public land. Well, that clean air and clean water, I mean, especially New York that you're getting from up in the Adirondacks and stuff, man, that stuff goes away and, man, your life is much different. And yeah. When I look at, 
you know, other countries, you know, other places in the world, like Syria or Iraq. I mean, you think about Mesopotamia, if you really think about history, what a jungle and, like, really vibrant place that was. Well, you know, populations grew, they exploited their resources, and now, you know, they're fighting over sand. And that's a real simple way to talk about it, but you got to think about it in that way. Yeah. Um, that what these resources are, are up to us to kind of uh, conserve, and, you know, public lands is a great place to do that. Yeah. 100% man and I, and I had to bring that up because I I don't think I was ever one to kind of push the issues aside but like I said I just I was unaware of them mm-hmm. and and now I, I'm I'm fully on the belief that you know if 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 we don't keep like you said if we don't keep on top of this then next thing you know I mean it could get out of hand and things could change really quick and uh you know next thing you know things could be a lot different in the in the entire country and then you go out to you know there's the the Aldo Leopold t- quote where he talks about the beauty of there being a blank space on a map. You know, you don't want to, you don't yep. want our country to become somewhere that doesn't have any blank spaces on the map. We need that just like you spoke about. Um, so again, man, l- last question. And then uh, we'll get off here again. I know you're busy. I'm, I'm very thankful for your time. Uh, when we post this podcast up, um, we'll definitely put, you know, the links to, for people to get to your website, your Instagram, uh, so what, if, if someone wants to, you know, join BHA today or, or look or get more information on BHA, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way for them to do that is really to go to backcountryhunters.org. Uh, it's our website and you can become a member right there. We've got many different levels. I've talked about the, you know, the $25 level, which is our basic membership, but you know, there's also life memberships that have, uh, you know, guns and TPs and, fly rods and kayaks like there's all sorts of different premiums that you can get it's almost like you can't afford not to become a life member um but uh that's what i mean again i've become a life become a member you know 25 dollars, and just like check us out and with that you know you get four magazines that we send out the magazines like i think 72 pages now and it's a lot of stories and um and how to's and and uh and then make some conservation stuff in there and so um you get that four times a year and then you get hooked up with your local you know state chapter and and i you know we have 38 state chapters here in the u.s and i think by 2020 we'll have all 50 covered so um you have a home at bha no matter where you are in the country right awesome man well uh thank you so much for your time thank you for thank you for explaining all that stuff to me you know and uh and to our listeners and yeah, and helping getting your point across. Um, so, yeah, guys, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And as always, thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast. Land, thank you, man. Lake, thank you. I think it's the first time I've ever been a Lake Land uh, podcast. We need to do it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Need to do it again. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys.